Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. We provide straightforward information by bringing excellent guests with real-world experience in all topics related to commercial real estate investing. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about my word of the year, scaling. We're going to be hearing some incredible golden nuggets about scaling your real estate investment business, how to delegate, what should you be thinking about with regards to partnerships. We covered a lot of really good ground today. Christopher has been here before. He is the co-founder and CEO of Rising Group a firm that has been investing for many decades in a variety of real estate asset classes, including office, retail, data centers, multifamily, et cetera, et cetera. Here we go. Chris, thank you so much for joining us again. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on scaling. But for those who may not remember who you are, you were in the podcast before. Can you tell us a little bit about you first? Sure. Thanks, Stephanie. Well, thanks for having me back on. It's a privilege. I think it's the only time I've been asked to come back to a podcast, for whatever <laughs> that means. So, uh, so I've been in the business of real estate uh, really since the 90s. Started my career as a lawyer and then worked uh, at a company called Cushman Realty for a guy named John Cushman. Started my principal business in the early 2000s, 2003, and really built from there. I'd had a little bit of a um, two-year window where I went and worked at a public company uh, and then restarted what we know now today as Rising Realty Partners. My father and I restarted it, in, um, kind of our private principal business in 2012. And so since that time, we've gone from buying one asset, an office building uh, in downtown LA, uh, and built that now to where we're over 5 million square feet. We own office and industrial. We own still a large landlord in downtown Los Angeles, office landlord, but we also own between Texas, Colorado, Nevada, and Sacramento, California. So we've, we've grown the business. It's uh, dynamic and interesting and uh, at times painful, given that we own a lot of office. <laughs> yeah, I think any, any business is painful at times for everybody. <laughs> yeah. The reason I invited you back is because you have scaled your business to a really incredible level. And I think a lot of people want to understand how to get to that level. And of course, it's slowly but surely, but let's review what are some of your top advices for an investor looking at growing their portfolio and taking it to the next level? Well, I mean, I think if you're talking about scaling it from a syndication level, uh, that's a different model. And it's one that we participate in than doing it as a private investor partnering with allocators of capital, a private equity firm, so insurance companies and things like that. So on the, on the syndication level, I think it's kind of gotten lost today, actually, to be honest with you, is that to syndicate in a digital world really has all the fundamentals of syndicating out of your church or out of your country club or anything like that. Those investors really do expect, as they should, a lot of hand-holding, a lot of uh, communication. And I think there's a lot you can do digitally now that you didn't used to be able to do. You're really in two businesses. You're in the business of identifying real estate that you want to buy, maybe even three if, you own, if you're a property manager, but you, you have this acquisition side, you have this operation side, and then you have this investor relations syndication business. And that's what our business looks like. It really, the operation side, we have asset managers who are 
I would say people who are more experienced in the real estate business usually have an MBA or something like that, that oversees maybe five assets, four assets. And then you have property managers there on the acquisitions team. We have, I think we're four people, five people on the acquisitions team. So those are people under finding deals and underwriting deals. And then we have about three or four people in our investor relations. And I think it gets lost on people that you really have to do three things. And my former mentor, or my, my mentor, but former boss, John Cushman used to say, you have to find them, mine them, and grind them. You got to be able to find the, the investors. You got to mine them all the time. And when you grind them, you got to keep communicating. And you got to keep growing. You got to grind. So though I've never really felt confident, I understood what the grind them part of it meant, but I know what the find them and mind them means. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that gets lost, I mean, I have to tell you, I just walked by one of our uh, investor relations people just a few minutes ago. And I said, are we communicating with the GPs? We feel like we're just only uh, really active with the LPs. Let's figure out content. Let's figure out ways to their GPs because they sit on our side. So sometimes we just, you know, we don't send ourselves content. Right. Yeah. You're wearing three hats and you're, you're hustling all the time to make sure you're communicating people. What I, what I have found is you can raise millions of dollars from one person. Uh, if you keep communicating, keep communicating, even if deals don't meet the returns that we project, it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. I've been in the business since the nineties, we've seen, you know, at least three full recessions. So it doesn't always happen the way we hope, hope it was. But if you communicate with people, then they feel like they're part of your team and they understand the issues that you have. If you don't communicate, I mean, that you, you know, you'll never hear from that investor again. And then you never know what they're telling other people. So I think we live in a world now with digital. I keep using the term digital, but you can communicate not just through social media, but you can directly um, communicate with people. One of, one of the things that is, has really jumped into the business as well I mean, when I first started, this was me spending the time every quarter writing out a, a two to three page summary of what happened in the leasing and the debt and all, whatever it is. And these were really handwritten, typewritten letters that would be sent out. Now there's a ton of software out there, different kinds from Juniper Square, which is a very popular, very sophisticated software, IMS, that are kind of portals so that you can communicate with people. But then you got to have the content too, because I think we've moved past a world where someone's okay with just a quarterly report. They want to know you're in the market. So you have to communicate them with, with them that way. So that's kind of a broad overview. How do you scale is a challenge. No matter how much we want to all think that we are exponential thinkers and we can do things exponentially. Yeah. Reality is most of the stuff we do is linear. You find a property, you like the property, you start to underwrite it. Then you start to talk to the brokers and then you get into this process and maybe you can buy it off market. Maybe you have to participate in a process against two or three other people. It's very hard to do that and then have another property that you're doing the same thing with. You know, So the teams get bigger, but then you don't really want to get too big on your teams because things go up and down. So how can you use technology? We haven't figured it out perfectly, but we talk a lot about thinking exponentially on our acquisitions so that you have enough product. It's a good problem to be able to come back to in some respects, but... I get a lot of pressure from our investors. You know, we're not seeing that many deals from them. There's just mm -hmm. not enough deals. <laughs> so you start to feel like you get the right investors. They want quantity and you can't sacrifice quality for quantity. So the first thing you have to do is understand that, that it is never bad to over-communicate and it is always bad to under-communicate. I also know how hard it is because you get stuck in, hey, I'm negotiating this lease over here. And, you know, we had something right. break and the CapEx broke. But if that's not consistent, um, you lose trust, you lose trust, you lose investors, and 
that word goes up very quickly. I don't know if there's another way to look at syndication. I think there's some great books out there on it. I don't know if most people know this, but you know, Dr. Jerry Buss, the owner of the Lakers, he was really one of the first great syndicators in Los Angeles. That's how he made his wealth, buying West Side apartment buildings. He was a professor at USC. He, uh, as a young guy, and then he started to put together other professors' money, and then that built on itself and built on itself. And by the time he got to the position in the late 70s by the Lakers, you know, he sold a bunch of his assets. Because my point is, syndication has been around a long time. It did fundamentally change. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in 2012, um, the syndication uh, business changed dramatically, and I think positively, because in 2012, they passed the Jobs Act. And this allowed people, I think, to really scale syndication efforts. And what that did with the Jobs Act was you could directly solicit credited investors. Before that, when mm-hmm. I was doing any sort of syndication, I had to put together my private placement memorandum, my subscription agreement. I had to number them all. I had to, if I sent it to somebody, I had to number it. And if they did not invest, I had to get that back because the SEC would come looking for you if you did this on any sort of scale to get their attention. The other thing is we had a ton of blue sky laws and we still do. So this is not any sort of legal advice to people, but you have to be careful which states that people are in that you solicit. So, uh, you know, you think about how this goes. As I said, you know, the original syndicators really was because you're after church on Sunday or temple on Saturday, you'd be talking with someone and, oh, I want to be in that deal. And now it's grown to where you can communicate with the globe and take investments from the globe. And by the way, taking investments from offshore investors has its own set of problems. So we, we've done that on our private equity side of the business, but not on the syndication business. We try to, to know our investors. You know, one of the things that, I, uh, that people may be aware of, but we kind of have two sides to our syndication business. We have our own investors. We call it the Rising Investor Platform. And we have a group of general partners. So that kind of sits on one side. And the other side is we partner with the realty moguls, the crowd streets, the cadres. They, they raise the money for their commitment. And then really what we're doing is we're communicating with, after the investment started, we communicate with Realty Mogul and they communicate all the right. investor reports out to them. So for scaling, that's how you do it. I think one of the hardest things we're dealing with right now is how do you scale business in an environment when it's really hard to buy? I don't have a good answer for everybody. Uh, I can tell you that we sit here in May and the world in May is extraordinarily different than the world we had in January. Interest rates have changed deals, forced us to abandon deals that we liked. And now it doesn't mean I, I think you can't invest in a higher interest rate environment. Been around a long time. I've seen interest rates a lot higher than they are today. It's just a little scary when you have the first time in 25 years, whatever it was, that Fed raises them 50 bips in one meeting. So I think you're going to see that when people talk about the first quarter of 2022, things started to slow down a little bit because people are just waiting for direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you've got people, you've got these loyal investors who really want to go to the next deal and go to the next deal. And we're saying, sorry, we had two projects, two industrial projects under contract, uh, or we were at the best and final rule we could have won. And we pulled back on both because we just were concerned about where our debt was going to be, where our mortgage payment was going to be. So, well, it'll settle down. I think, I think you'll see, I think the Fed has said it's going to be 25 bips. And I think the economy is going to slow down a little bit and you'll see unemployment go up and then those will present some good buying opportunities, but it's that balance of, you don't want to give people a bad deal, but if you don't give them deals, they could go to the next person. <laughs> so. 
so you just didn't know exactly what your rate was going to be because you couldn't unlock it? Is that no? What uh, no. What happened was the rate that we underwrote. Remember, a lot of these. Yes, it was. Yeah. A lot of these things take a, a while. So you, you get the offering memoranda, you start to right, underwrite right, right. it, then yeah. you go through the, and, and it's 60 days have gone by, you know, sure. so <laughs> that, that can happen. And so what happens then? Do you ask for better price or? Well, you certainly can. We chose in the last two to just say they, they had two other bidders who okay, they could buy it. it that number. And we said, yeah, we'll take it. Got price. it. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify the entire picture so people understand it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there are a couple of things with regards to scaling. One is delegating, right? And the other one is through partnerships. Can you touch maybe uh, these two topics on how you approach when you want to delegate things and when do you want to partner up with people and how, what your process is uh, yeah. with partnerships? Well, um, I will say I have enough scar tissue of the uh, <laughs> fact that I've had bad partners. Now, I don't want someone to say, to interpret bad partner as bad human being. I don't mean that at all. Though I've had a few bad human beings too, <laughs> partners. When I say bad partners, it's just their ex our interests or expectations were not aligned and it gets very difficult. And you know, interesting thing about investing is that everybody's nice when things are good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you lose a big tenant and there might be a capital call. Not everybody's so nice. And that can be also within your partnership. It doesn't just mean outside investors. So I wish I, I could tell you I have this wonderful method after so many years to identify. I don't. What I do know is if I'm talking to someone about being a partner or talking about bringing somebody into the business, if I can't make the decision right away, thinking about things, I usually mm. will say no. I usually yeah. say no. Go with your um, guts. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And I, I wish it was scientific, but no, I can't, I can't tell you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've taken like recommendations. I've called people and, you know, what do you think this person would be a good partner? Oh yeah. I'd be a great partner. And then one person says something, it's not always like a scientific method, but um, I will tell you the other thing I have learned about partners. If it's too good to be true, it is. <laughs> it is. No matter how, yes, it is too good to be true. So <laughs> run away from it. I, oh, okay. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I had a partner once um, who had, probably worth a billion dollars. And um, I didn't quite understand how that partnership still exists out there today, though he's not in it happened. I didn't do enough, but it just was, I said, wow, if I bring this person in and we partner with them, we're going to raise all the money in the world. And it was a disaster. It was mm -hmm. just a disaster. So I do feel like when someone comes to me to want to be my partner and it feels too good to be true, I get immediately suspect. On delegation, I will tell you that the hardest thing you can do is hire people. And the reason is you really don't know what people are like until they've been in the company for a while, because everybody puts on a great face for the first 30 days, the first 60 yep. days, 90 days, and you really don't know. One of the things that we've started to do, which if you had asked me five years ago, oh no, I wouldn't do that to somebody. We actually make sure that they take tests in yeah. advance to know if they can do their job. So if you're going to be an acquisition person, we're going to make you underwrite two or three buildings before we hire you. If you're going to be an asset manager, we're going to make, make you do a bunch of tests on how we report to partners and things like that. I used to be like, oh, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of rude and all that. 
I'm so far over that. <laughs> and um, one of the things too is uh, I think people have to understand unless you want to go to a role of kind of retired or chairman's role, you never can really fully delegate. So what you have to have is systems that allow you to use your time most effectively to effectively to make sure something's done correctly. But every time I've said, well, I don't have to worry about this reporting yeah. over here because I've got so-and-so. I realize that the, when I say I've got so-and-so, the good ones are communicating with me enough where I know what's going on, but I'm not into the weeds. The ones that scare me, asset managers, acquisition people, the ones I don't hear from them at all until something goes wrong. You cannot scale if you cannot delegate. And, and look, we're looking at everything we can from bots to like on acquisitions. How do we fill up our funnel of deals? Look, I'd, re I'd love to buy every deal off market. What I've learned all the time over time is when you buy off market, it doesn't mean you're getting a discount. No. Nope. <laughs> Usually it means that you're probably getting snickered that you think you're getting something for cheaper than it yeah. is, but you never know. The best way to buy off market is when there's distress because then you may get a discount. So the reality of today is 99% of sellers are going to hire a broker to have a deal fully marketed because that's what you want as a seller is you want a market to be cre created, which is why I put so much value in brokers. I'm not cynical about brokers. I think brokers yeah. earn their fee. Um, yeah. and, I, and I, having been a broker, I think a lot of owners discredit brokers in a way I think it's totally unfair and inappropriate because the owner doesn't know about the 15 times a person spent their time and did all oh, this yeah. stuff but didn't get paid. For us, what we're trying to do is come up with technology ways to get the funnel as wide as possible for all these deals coming in and then filter them without human beings doing it to get down to deals that we think we would like. It's a work in progress, but uh, in terms of of how we get more deals, but on the delegation, you gotta have systems in place. One other thing I wanna tell everybody, there's a theme in our business that didn't we didn't have when we started, which is called SOPs, Standard Operating uh, Procedures. My, my partner, Scott, says all the time, do you think people came up with a flight check for flying airplanes just out of thin air? Do you realize every step in a flight check yeah. is because somebody <laughs> crashed and died? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and they said, this is what you have to do next? So that's why in our business, anytime something gets goes wrong, we say, what's the SOP? Where do we store it? And then that gives you grounds to terminate somebody if they don't follow the standard operating procedures. Right. What are those? I, I, I say this about our business. If you want to create wealth for yourself and you want to do these things, it's not easy. And anybody who thinks, that, oh, that guy's made so much money sitting on the golf course doing that, I can guarantee you he's not a great golfer because his mind or her mind is thinking about every deal that's in their head. You're just, mm -hmm. you're in the game, you're in the game. And then time comes, you want to get out of the game, you're out of the game. But you're not really one foot in or one foot out. Can you give us a day in the life? What what do you do? <laughs> My day I know life. it varies. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does, it does vary. But now as I'm getting older, I'm trying to be more habitualized with it. I do still have three kids. So You know, two 17 year olds and a 12 year old. So a lot of my life is dictated around what their schedule <laughs> But uh, I can tell you every morning I walk around the Rose Bowl. Uh, that's been something that I, I find very important. I also just discipline myself that I don't check my phone first thing in the morning. Mm. I, I need to get my time done early. Uh, and then I have a routine about the first thing I do is we, have, we use a project management software called Asana, which I can check from my phone or anywhere else. So that'll be the first thing I do before I go to email, uh, see internally what are the things I have to get done. Then I compare that to my calendar. 
and I make sure that I have the time in the day. I, I really only try to get three things done in a day. doesn't mean I right. don't touch, you know, 15 other things, but I try to get three. Then I go to my email because to me, email is what everybody in the whole world wants from me. And if you start there, you're starting your day trying to please everybody. And yeah. it's so hard. It's such a hard thing to learn. The other thing I found is I've gotten older and more mature in the business. To me, it's not about getting the work done, even though my first reaction always is, oh, I'll write that response or I'll write that letter is I have to gather everything and then I have to start delegating. And what yeah. I love about about Asana uh, and Microsoft has this and some of the others, but Asana allows what I hate about email. We don't allow email internally because you can't track it. You know, you get these long things. So, you know, if there's some task that, that comes out of an email, we forward that email in it and we start assigning it. But what I feel like my most important time is when I'm in Asana, delegating tasks, overseeing what tasks got done. The other thing I would say is that it's really hard for me too, but I need time to think because I'm trying yeah. to, I can't be the one who's reactive all the time. We have a lot of people who that's their job and that's really hard to schedule in. So some people say, oh, he's, you know, he's not in the office at two o'clock, you know, where is he? It used to be on airplanes a lot, but it, it, I'm trying to find an hour or two in my day yeah. where I'm trying to think about the problems. And these are all skills that when I was hustling, when I was a young broker, I never thought about that kind of stuff. It was just go, 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 go. And now that I'm getting older and, I, and I'm trying to scale, well, when you scale, you got to be able to delegate, to be able to delegate. You got to think rationally about all the things that need to get done and how they need to get done. That is such a common trend on so many uh, business books, really scheduling that time. Some people even say schedule two days out of the week because one day is going to get taken out. <laughs> so yeah. you really have one yeah. day. So thank yeah. you for reiterating that. It's so, so important. The one thing I haven't talked about, about how you scale and all that, you know, I've had a personal coach for 10 years. And part of that, I also did a program called Strategic Coach with Dan Sullivan. Uh, which was really helpful. And he talks about how you break up your days, you have focus days and you have off days and, and, and all that. But I can't tell you how valuable it's been for me once a week for an hour to meet with a coach yeah. to talk through what's gotten on that. And, and this person's not in real estate. It's just more, have you thought about these things? Are you holding yourself accountable? You know, I was yeah. an athlete up through college and I, so I like having coaches and I like having schedules. But it's been really valuable when I think about scaling and the issues or just dealing with employee issues because they're not always necessarily specific to real estate, but just right. having that independent voice. So I know some people are like, oh, that's the last money I want to spend is, you know, on a mm -hmm. personal coach, but it's made a huge difference for me. Oh, I bet. I bet. That's why masterminds are so popular, right? You get so many yeah. other brains in one room helping you out. Wow, Chris, I'm going to have you back again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, was oh, there anything pleasure. else that you think we should have touched on that you think is important? No, I mean, I, the, the only other thing I didn't talk about, which I'm a huge uh, a believer in and I evangelize a lot, is you got to read. So many people don't read. Find books, listen to them, and don't feel like you have to finish every book you start. You know, you're not yeah. in grade school anymore. Go out and read as many books as you can, because so many of the ideas I have is because I read books or I read magazines and, and I really encourage people. There's, you, can, you can learn everything about the world. There's so many books out there. Spend the time to, because so many of our ideas usually come from something I've read, whether it's through 
you know, Twitter or yeah. these others that lead me, you know, Twitter talks about something that leads me to the next blog and that blog leads me to the book. And then I try to go through the book. And if I get bored with a book, I don't feel like I have to read a book from start to finish. I have to right. take out a few ideas and move on. But don't get so caught up in your business life that you're not spending time reading. Yeah. Wow. Such a phenomenal episode full of so many gems. Thank you so much, Chris. And how can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Rising. You can also find me, uh, I have a blog called at chrisrising.com. And you can find me on our website, risingrp.com. Thank you very much for coming here again, Chris. Thank you. And I would love to thank one of our latest reviewers, BK8792. Great podcast on commercial real estate. As someone who is relatively new to commercial real estate investing, I found Steph's podcast to be extremely informative and timely. She covers a broad range of investing approaches, which has been invaluable to me. Please keep it up, Steph. Oh, we will, BK8792. Thank you so much for making the time to write us a review. I know all of you are super busy and I really appreciate it. And I will see you next time.